Blog Talk Radio.
I write books. And uh, at, at, at this point, there, there have been 108 of them uh, that have come out over, well, a 40-some-year period. Uh, the most recent is a book about Coach John Wooden. It's the fourth one uh, that I've written about this legendary uh, bas- basketball coach who coached at UCLA for many years, had enormous success. But beyond that, uh, he was a remarkable man. And this latest book is called Coach Wooden's Forgotten Teams, and it's really about his summer basketball camps for youngsters, uh, which he ran for many, many, many years, uh, involving thousands of youngsters, young young people who participated in his camps. And I uh, wanted to uh, examine what Coach Wooden was like in the summertime, uh, coaching these youngsters. It was it was. Uh, a, a great experience to find many of these people of now, uh, you know, full full adults, and get their memories about what it was like to be at Coach Wooden's camps and what he was like, and, and the impact he had on them. Uh, so it's a little different look at this legendary basketball coach and and legendary human being, and uh, that's the background and that's the meat of this book, Coach Wooden's. Forgotten Teams. Wow. And I have been reading this book, and I cannot put it down. <laughs> like So nothing else was getting done while I was reading the book. And I won't give away a whole lot of it other than to say that if you're looking, if anybody wants to need some extra inspiration, some motivation, some encouragement to see how somebody else is able to impact you know, this world, and that um, he's, he's a legend for so many ways, as you are, Pat. But there was one particular, well, not one, but there were several things in this book that really had me um, pausing to think, and it was something about you don't know what you know until you know it all or you experience it. And I'm trying to find it in the book, but at first I thought, hey, this got to be a triple or this was something. And then so I had to just really, really take my time to reread that. And it's like in the um, very beginning, I think it's in the introduction of the book, so when you are sharing these quotable, notable um, secrets or principles, I say secrets because we just don't under, we don't sit still long enough to, to really digest them. But it says, it's what you learn after you know it all that counts. Wow. Well, Can let me just talk that? for a minute about Coach Wooden as a teacher. Mm-hmm. Yes, he was a basketball coach, but in his mind, uh, he was a teacher. And he loved to teach. Uh, he was an, really, by trade, he was an English teacher. And he loved to, uh, to teach people and teach youngsters. And he was doing that, you know, I think all the way until his death at, at age 99. Uh, he was uh, a reader. He was a student of life. He was a student of people. And he loved to, to share that with others. Uh, he did not hoard his wisdom he did not hoard his knowledge and and so for example loretta uh after his retirement if you wanted to come and visit coach wooden uh in his uh, condo in encino california uh, he was there for you if you wanted to fly across the country and and come and spend a day with him he was always welcoming and and uh, no telling how many people who he'd never met you know came to see him and, and uh, learn about basketball, yes, but more importantly, uh, to learn about life. 
and and uh, that's what he did. And that's why uh, I've written, well, it's four books now about Coach Wooden because, uh, you know, no, <clears throat> most people, I was very fortunate to have been uh, able to spend time with him as an older man and, and, and visit with him and take from him his wisdom. And I'm imparting it in these books because, you know, people can't spend time with him anymore. But I want to do that through these books. And that's why I've written four of them. Uh, the first one was a book called uh, How to Be Like Coach. Then uh, the second one was a book simply called uh, Coach Wooden, <clears throat> The Seven Principles That Shaped His Life and Will Change Yours. The third book I wrote was called Coach Wooden's Greatest Secret. came out a couple of years ago. And now uh, Coach Wooden's Forgotten Team. So I've tried to mine the depths of this amazing American man, American hero, and uh, let people know that uh, there's so much to learn from him. Yeah. And so as I – he is definitely one of the greatest teachers ever, and that, that could be a whole other concept um, for coaches because I like how he said – it's not so much about winning, it's about teaching, and he wanted to make sure that he made a, a forever positive impact on anybody that he came into contact with. So he said, and it's these two things I want to um, want you to tell me about because you've done this too, a coach must not have favorites. How is that even possible not to have favorites when you're coaching because you have such and you have most coaches will have at least one or two super, super phenomenal players, even at a summer league or like we have here, the men's athletic ministries and some more um, camps, I mean, basketball team for kids to get involved with. So how do you not have a favorite? Well, <clears throat> he used to tell his players, uh, he said, I will love all of you equally. He said, I may not like you equally all the same. Mm. Kind of an interesting statement. Uh, he uh, he ha had a heart of love, but uh, having said that, uh, let us not mistake Loretta that because he lived so long and he ended his life really as his kind of grandfatherly uh, figure. But uh, as a coach, he was an intense competitor. He was a you know he was not a demonstrative guy, but he was intense. And he had a great desire to win. He enjoyed winning, as do all coaches. Um, mm -hmm. Suffered when they lost, but always learned from it. And above all, uh, he held his players accountable. Uh, his players um, found him to be a very hard-nosed, disciplined, organized coach. But later in life, and this was the interesting thing, Loretta, later in life when these guys became, you know, older, older adults, they realized what Coach Wooden was doing uh, during those days back at UCLA. He was teaching them about life, and he was teaching them mm -hmm. about how to get ready uh, to live life as adults. Uh, that, that was kind of a eureka moment for them. Yes. He was teaching basketball, and they had great success. But uh, above that, he was teaching life. And 
uh, how to how to get ready for life long after your basketball days are over. Very yes. interesting man. Uh, very interesting coach. Very interesting very life coach. And um, and he did the same thing in an abbreviated form in the summertime. You know, with these camps that he ran, uh, he didn't have all that much time. You know, maybe five full days with these youngsters. But he was there. He was present. He oversaw all the drills and all the activities, uh, spoke to the kids, uh, did photos with them. Um, you know, and, and in five days, as, as we read in this book, uh, he had an enormous impact on them. I think the, uh, maybe, maybe the major lesson here, Loretta, is we all have impact in our life. We all have influence. Uh, we're all leaving a mark on people around us. We may not realize it. We may not think about it. But the way we talk, the way we handle ourselves every day uh, is leaving an impression on people. And we need to be very careful about how we go about that, about the words that we say and the actions that we take, uh, because we are all people of influence. Uh, we may not have you know, that wide path of a John Wooden, but in our own way, uh, we are having an enormous effect on people. And we need to be very, very aware of that. Well, that's beautiful. And, and clearly, clearly, I think when I was reading, well, when I was reading the book and people were describing him and, you know, somehow they figured they'd gotten it wrong because it's all about basketball and winning and having these super amazing players on his team. But like you said, what it all bore down to his core, he, he really wanted people to be better people and to be prepared and to have success. And one thing I really loved, because this really sums up a team, and it says, I define team spirit as a genuine consideration for others and an eagerness to sacrifice personal interest and personal glory for the welfare of all. And then it says something about, because when the team wins, the individual also wins. So you can't just go out there and just want it for yourself. you got to play as a team. And we see that clearly has changed a lot in some of the, you know, the, the major sports um, that we watch every day on TV is that it almost seems like it's just one person that, thinks that they're winning the game for the entire team. So how do you address that, or how did Coach Wooden address that? Well, I think he, from the time those youngsters came to the UCLA campus, uh, he made it very clear that they um, had to have a attitude uh, of, uh, of team, uh, of, of thinking about the bigger unit. Uh, yes, he had great talent, uh, during those great years, they won seven NCAA titles in a row. Think about that for a minute. Uh, they won uh, 10 in 12 years. Remarkable run. Uh, but through it all, he was constantly stressing, team, uh, that you've, uh, you've got to pass the ball. You've got you've to uh, give, it, give it up to your teammate if he's in a better position to score. Uh, and as you talk to those older people now who played for him, uh, that lesson of teamwork, you know, has stayed with them. I think it's uh, been a mark of their lives, you know, all the way through that uh, Coach Wooden's 
lesson about sacrificing for the good of the team, you know, has never left them. And that's good advice for all of us. You know, collectively, uh, we're all more effectively effective than we can be individually. T-E-A-M-S, Loretta. Uh, together, we all accomplish more successfully, you know, as, as, as teammates. And so one, well, of, one of the best together, things yeah. that I could challenge people is this, uh, uh, this little quote. My only goal is to be the best teammate that anybody's ever had. How's that sound? My only goal (laughs) is to be the best teammate that anybody's ever had. I I think uh, that if somebody says that about you, uh, that's a tremendous tribute. That is. That's that's really deep. I'm, I'm like over here marinating on that now. Um, my only my goal is to be the best teammate anyone has ever had. Wow. Whether it's in sports or business or in your family or uh, whatever field in the military, uh, that's my goal, to be the best teammate anybody's ever had. Uh, you can uh, you could discuss that all day long. Uh, and and uh, perhaps uh, businessmen who are listening today, businessmen or women, Pull your group together and have a nice discussion. Uh, What do I have to do? What are some of the qualities uh, that are there if I'm going to be the best teammate that anybody's ever had? Boy, you could have a good morning discussion on that one. Uh, That would be uh, to sit around a table and just start brainstorming. Uh, uh, What do I have to do to be the best teammate that anybody's ever had? What do we all have to do? That would be a good discussion. <laughs> That's what I love when I talk to you and when I'm reading your book, um, Pat, is because you, of course, have all this history and experience and success in the sports industry, but everything that you do and everything you talk about and everything you write about, we can apply it into our lives regardless of what we what our walk is in life, whether you are you know, you're in TV and radio, whether you are, you know, you're in ministry or you're a teacher or you're an artist or a scientist, you can apply these same principles and techniques and life experiences to anything and become a better you, which makes you a better whatever you're doing. And you talk about that in your book, too. The, the goal is to try to be your, the best you you can be, which makes you a better basketball player, a better coach, a better teacher. So, was that something you were taught by your parents when you were growing up? Good question, Loretta. I, uh, you know, I had good, strong parents, and they were constantly teaching some of these principles. Uh, I was a student of sports from a very early age. And then as I got older, I began to realize that uh, the lessons of sports uh, that I live in can definitely be transferred over to the other areas of life. And then further along in my life, I became fascinated with leadership. I still am. And I have studied leadership and continue to write about it. Uh, I also became fascinated with team, team building, uh, teamwork, uh, what it takes to put great teams together. I also became fascinated uh, with uh, this topic of winning, 
uh, in my business of sports, it's vital. If you don't win, they don't keep you around. Uh, but but yeah. I have studied uh, the qualities of, of people in life who we like, who, who we call winners or extreme winners. And I've had a very interesting time uh, studying that that uh, aspect. And I also have studied success. I've read every single book I believe. Uh, that's ever been written about this topic of success and uh, tried to boil down the main principles of, of, of what it takes to be a success. So I guess you could say I'm a student of life, Loretta. Uh, those are the areas that I've really, uh, really spent a lot of time immersed in. And, uh, and then I try and turn around and, and write about these topics and, uh, pass what I've learned uh, on to the next generation. So I, I think that's what really is my mission here. And you've, you've just exceeded any expectation anybody could have for you. And I kind of want to, we talked about you professionally, I want to talk about you personally, because when I was telling people, excuse me, that you are the father of 19 19 children, of course, you know, they're mostly adults now, but you adopted 14 from foreign countries, and as a parent, I'm thinking that has got to be a challenge in itself because you adopted um, your children from um, not only the U.S., but Korea, Romania, Brazil, and the Philippines. So how how were you able to do that, obviously, very successfully, and what were some of your learning curves that you had to overcome to do this? Well, we could do a whole show on parenting, Loretta. I've uh, seen it all and been involved with, with it all. Yeah, we uh, we did adopt those 14 children over a 10-year period, uh, 1983 to 1993. Uh, they are all adults now. The oldest is 46. Uh, the youngest is 32. So uh, they're all out on their own. <coughs> we now are... Um, involved with the next generation their 17 grandchildren and uh we're, we're certainly enjoying our life as grandparents and uh so uh i've i've written and i have uh spent a lot of time talking about parenting and what we've learned about it and uh what are what are the ingredients to be a, a really a top level parent and uh so i'm glad you you mentioned that um International adoption is not for everybody, Loretta, but I do say uh, to people that uh, if you like adventure, uh, if you like some risk, you know, check it out. Uh, we did, and uh, we have uh, never regretted it. We, uh, we have a good relationship with all of our adult children, and uh, so it's, uh, it's been quite an, quite an adventure. So were all 19 always in the house at the same time, or was there like an age difference that put them away in college or away on jobs while you had the other seven? Were they all in your home at one time, as, you know, growing up? Well, they, they were, Loretta, not all of them. I think the most probably we ever had, I think we had, uh, well, we had 18 for, oh my for goodness, a period that is of all time. Of them. <laughs> yeah, there was one year when uh, – 16 of our children were all teenagers at the same time for one oh, year. Goodness. Boy, that was uh, that was a memorable year. 
Um, it was not all easy, I'll tell you that. But uh, we uh, we did the very best we could as parents, and that and that's uh, what I I tell parents today. Uh, don't uh, beat your beat yourself up too badly. You know, a lot of parents think that they're failing, but but keep keep doing what you know is right. Uh, you run the house, not the children. Uh, at 18, make sure your children know long before that that they're leaving. Uh, that at 18, they're going off to college or into the military or into the workforce. Uh, they're mm-hmm. not going to just hang at the house doing nothing or playing video games all day. You know, at 18, they're leaving, and that needs to be planted in their lives when they're young. And we we certainly did that. And uh, oh, I agree so, with you on that. <laughs> so I've got uh, I've got some uh, definite theories about uh, raising children. Uh, your children need a equal amount of love and discipline. Uh, your mm-hmm. children need to know that you're involved in their lives. They want you at their games, or their. Uh, uh, they want you at their swimming meets. Uh, they want you at their uh, their cheerleading. They they want you to be there. Uh, so if you have children, you got to be involved in their life. You've got to take the time to to be involved and uh, know that uh, you that they that they sense that you really care about what they're doing. Um, but. Uh, You've got to have an equal amount of love and discipline. I sure learned that, Loretta. Yes. Like you said, you know, an equal amount of praise and an equal amount, I guess, for lack of a better word, I'll say criticism when you're not really criticism. You're just kind of preparing them and critiquing them. And But you've got to praise them. they got to know that, you know, you, you see them doing something right. And they also have to know about discipline. That is huge. And I love how you that, that makes a big difference in their lives as adults and how they maneuver their way through life because life will knock you down. It will pick you up and tell you the best thing says anything. But at the same time, it will knock you down and make you feel like you're nothing. So you need to know how to um, deal with that. And I like even in your book, you talk about it from a professional standpoint. I think it's on page 171. You talk about wise people react the same way to both praise and criticism. They let it all roll off. So you can't, you don't have time to just, you know, puff up your shoulders and hold your head up like you're better than everybody because you did one or two things right. It's good to celebrate that, but at the same time, be able to accept criticism too. So I, I really love that quote as well. So I kind of want to talk about, um, I just have a friend, um, he, he was diagnosed with prostate cancer, and so I told him I would be there for him. He is my my ex, but we were friends, so I walked that walk with him, and I, I have a whole new appreciation for any caregiver. It just Oh, and anybody who has had that diagnosis. And so can you talk a little about your diagnosis and then I know you're in remission and fully recovered. Praise God, praise God. Ooh, praise God for that. But just that journey, can you talk a little about that journey, the diagnosis and everything you had to go through, some of everything? Well, a little over seven years ago, I went in for my yearly physical and at the end of it, the doctor said, there's something in your blood work uh, that doesn't look right. 
Well, I, I didn't pay much attention to that. But eventually I developed a horrible, horrible back pain. Uh, they couldn't find anything wrong with my back. But eventually that led uh, to the diagnosis that, that, that I had cancer, uh, multiple myeloma, one of the blood cancers. I was stunned, couldn't believe it. I was in great hell, great shape. You know, I, I, I just couldn't fathom it. But eventually, I came to the realization that uh, I was in a battle, a real, a real battle for my life. And um, fortunately, uh, every everything that I've done has been they've done with me has been successful. Uh, the stem cell transplant and the different forms of chemo—they've all been effective. And uh, I'm into the eighth year of this uh, of this cancer battle. Uh, I've also, although I didn't volunteer for it, Loretta, I've also uh, become a spokesperson for this illness called multiple myeloma. Uh, I'm on the phone several times a month with somebody who's just been diagnosed uh, mm -hmm. to talk to them and help them. I've written a book uh, called The Mission is Remission, uh, in which I talk about my myeloma uh, battle. Uh, which has been helpful to people, I think. And uh, I've just come to accept that uh, God allowed it in my life. Uh, I've learned from it. Uh, I think I'm a better person as a result of my cancer battle. Uh, I, I uh, have learned long ago not to waste your sufferings, uh, because in the middle of the tough times, uh, we, we're much better students of life. Uh, we have a much better learning discipline through the tough times. Through the good times, it's all—it's awfully easy to get very complacent mm -hmm. and figure that, uh, boy, I've got life by the throat, folks. But uh, when the tough times hit, we we cling tightly to God, and uh, that's where He wants us in the first place. So, uh, to those who might be dealing with cancer, the uh, Feel free to pick up a copy of my book. It's called uh, uh, The Mission is Remission. You might find it helpful about what I went through and what I learned and uh, what I can uh, pass on to others. But eventually, uh, Loretta, well, uh, one out of every two men in our country at some point is going to end up dealing with cancer. Uh, one out of every three women so it's it's here, it's real, and uh, we need to be alert to it. Above all, uh, I say to all of your listeners, do not neglect your yearly physical. Don't neglect it. Uh, that's how they discovered my cancer. And uh, But yet so many men, particularly Loretta, you know, just say, oh, I don't like doctors. No, I'm fine. You know, I'll take my chances. <clears throat> Uh, that's not good thinking. Uh, not good thinking get that yearly physical every year, and chances are everything will be fine. But if there is something, you want to find out about it early, not late. So that's uh, that's exactly. my counsel. I love that. And so the the book is the mission is remission. And I think whether you you know anybody should pick that book up because, like I said, it probably would have helped me. Um, even as a caregiver, to, to be more sensitive, to be more aware, and to kind of, 
you know, so I wasn't hitting brick walls with the whole thing and not knowing, you know, the right thing to say and if they were being a little, you know, more negative and I shouldn't react to that. So I'm going to read that book myself and pass it on uh, not only to people who, you know, have had that diagnosis, but those who have not because all of us know somebody. If it's not us, it's somebody that we know in our circle, unfortunately, until we can beat this cancer thing. You know, knowledge is very, very powerful, and the use of that knowledge is even more powerful. So I just was telling people when I first was introducing you, you're so multifaceted, and it seems like everything you touch just turns to gold. So one thing that a lot of people don't know about you, because this is new for me, that you host the NBA All-Star Chapel, and you've done this, and you founded it in 1981. And so you've had a lot of success. You've had a lot of big names in ministry and gospel providing the message and inspiration for the legends and executives and others of the NBA family. What what inspired you to do this? Not like you didn't have enough on your plate with being the father of 19 and the grandfather of 17. So how are you able to do more in your 24 hours than a, a, a regular person? <laughs> well, Loretta, I think it's a matter of uh, discipline, uh, self-discipline and, and stay very close uh, to those things that are important to you. Uh, don't, don't waste your time uh, with frivolous things or things that, you know, just uh, are, are not all that important. Uh, one of them, perhaps, the average American uh, watches four-plus hours of television a day. Well, that's not all that important I don't think so there's four hours you can pick up right there Uh, the other thing that's very important in my life is reading Uh, I'm I'm a reader and I I bet at the end of the day I probably spend two three some days four hours a day reading it fuels everything I do it it fuels my speaking career uh, my uh, my writing career and it and it uh, it it, it uh, it's a big part of my intellectual curiosity. Uh, so I encourage people to spend time reading good books uh, in areas that you're interested in. People ask me, well, what should I read? And I say, well, what are you interested in? Uh, that's where you should be reading. So yeah. if you spend a couple of hours a day reading. Uh, Loretta, boy, that's going to be a life changer for you. I agree. <laughs> I'm an avid reader as well, I, and I watch very little TV, although I'm on TV every week, and I do ask people out of that four hours, I'm just going to do a shameless pitch, um, use 30 minutes, 30 minutes of that, because it is like reading a book when you watch the show. It, it has a lot of value. It's not just entertainment. It, it definitely is inspiration at its core <clears throat> and information to help you um, become your best self and, you know, live your highest expression of who you are. Well, so, um, Loretta, let me, let me just add then, by all, me- <clears throat> by all means, <clears throat> have that television set on watching Loretta. That's, that's an <laughs> exception to the rule here. We want to watch Loretta. You're so kind. You're so extremely kind. So again, tell me about the, you know, this all-star thing that you're doing with the, um, that I was, see, he, he is such a diverter. He doesn't like talking about himself, but he is so richly involved in a lot of the millions of people, and, and everything he does touches somebody other than himself. That's why 
I know he can do so many things. Because when it's not about you, when it's truly, truly not about you, you want to create things and events and activities and relationships to help empower somebody else to help them be better, then you you will not want to watch TV for 30 minutes a day. And maybe an hour. I'll give somebody else some time to maybe an hour and a half a day because there are some really good shows out there. So I really, the NBA All-Star Chapel, did you see that there was a need, a niche or something that you just knew the power of faith and you wanted to instill that into other people when you decided to found the NBA All-Star Chapel. Well, Loretta, here's what happened. Uh, uh, There is a chaplain involved with every team in the NBA, and they have a chapel service voluntarily before every game when uh, when some players from both teams can come together and hear a, a message from God's word, uh, spend some time in prayer. It's 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 happening every night before every game in every arena. So years back, uh, my good friend Norm's <coughs> excuse me Norm Sanju, who was the general manager of the Dallas Mavericks. I was then the. GM of the 76ers in Philadelphia, and we uh, we talked and went to the league and, and thought, uh, why couldn't we have a chapel service uh, the weekend of the NBA All-Star game? And so uh, we, uh, we had the first one in Cleveland in 1989, 1981. Uh, we were very pleased, a nice turnout. Uh, Andre Thornton, the Cleveland Indian slugger, strong Christian guy, he was our speaker, and uh, it, it, it was it was good. And so the next year uh, in uh, New York, we uh, uh, had another one, and that that has just grown. It's continued uh, all the way to this past uh, February in uh, Los Angeles. We, I guess, gosh, we're now approaching 40 years of this and uh, the league has been very helpful uh, making it part of the the weekend agenda next year we'll be in charlotte north carolina we've already got our speaker lined up uh, and so uh, i've 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 can't, it, it's been a real privilege to to and uh, organize these norm is uh, norm retired from basketball many years ago so uh, we have carried it on and uh uh, as I mentioned, the league has been very, very helpful, uh, very cooperative, and it, uh, it's become a highlight, I think, for many people uh, who on the Sunday morning of the All-Star Game come to the service uh, from 8.30 to 9.30, and I think they, uh, they really treasure that hour uh, during the All-Star Weekend. So that's a brief history of, uh, of what we've done. That is beautiful. I, I love that, and I love how you are a man of, of extreme faith, and though your life is like a big open window for people, you still maintain that sense of integrity, no matter, you know, you can pull back layers, you've always been that guy, that man, and so it is just a phenomenal um, honor to know you, Pat, and to be able to have this conversation with you. I think this is our third interview, and I've often told you, um, I don't know if I've told you recently, but we only have five minutes. I want to share this with you to tell you why this is 
so beautiful for me to be able to talk to you. My son, Brandon, my oldest son, my first son, he loved Orlando Magic. He loved Shaq, and he loved Orlando Magic. I mean, all his life, as, as early as he could bounce the basketball, and um, he did, and he loved Orlando Magic, and he wanted to meet Shaq, and he wanted to go and um, see Orlando Magic play. And he actually did. He, 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 my son died, and he always wanted to do something with basketball and books, you know, and so I tried to – I did it the first year, so I did this three-on-three basketball and books. They weighed books, and, you know, basketball was the thing that drew them, but the message was about education and being kind because Brandon was the most kind person. And so now to be able to talk to you and to have you autograph books to me and to share your story, knowing how Brandon loved, I mean, loved Orlando Magic, it's a God wink. It's a wink from God, and I count it as a blessing. I don't. It's it's huge for me. Not that I'm fanatical about you because of who you are and what you've done, but because of that connection that Brandon told me about, and he loved Orlando Magic so much, my son. So just want to tell you that you're very, very special in my heart and in my life. So, and to be able to share your story um, on this radio platform is is huge on so many levels. So. For that, I thank you, I thank you, I thank you. Well, thanks, Loretta. I appreciate your sharing that story with me. And uh, I'm, I'm sure glad that we could spend some time together this morning. And uh, yes. I, hope people in, I hope people enjoy this new book. It's called Coach Wooden's Forgotten Teams. Uh, Ravel mm-hmm. is the publisher. And uh, uh, I hope that book really uh, uh, gives people something to think about and uh, uh, they, they uh, get a good good look at uh, the great basketball coach John Wooden definitely pick up the book it's available everywhere books are sold and I am definitely a champion of this book so um, again it's Coach Wooden the Forgotten Teams and he has four, uh, three other books about Coach Wooden so make sure you pick those up and he has another hundred and eight four books that you can choose from so pat williams has been my amazing guest today i'm so pleased often 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 blessed just by reading his words as he's putting on paper and hearing his story so i did want to close with a quote pat from your book from coach john wooden and it is um in chapter five teach wisdom not winning and then the quote is what you are as a person is far more important than what you are as a basketball player. And whatever you're doing, put, fill in the blank. So you're more important as a person than you are as what you do. So be empowered by that and go out and make your day even better than you previously thought it would be from having heard Pat Williams' story. Until the next time, everybody, goodbye. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. <laughs>